Growing up, I was told there are only two topics that are off of the table when it comes to conversations. Those two are religion and politics. I am breaking both rules this morning because I'm talking about both. The one you probably expect to hear, right? When you come to church, you expect to hear about religion, but you don't necessarily expect to hear about politics. And yet that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we as Christians live within the political system that we live. What does God want from Christians? What does He expect that as we live as citizens in our country? And so i got a question for you this morning as, as you think through all this. When it, what words come to mind when you think of government or politics? I'm guessing words like emotional, stressful, a source of anger, worry, corruption. I'm guessing all those kind of describe what you think of when you think of the government. No good, maybe? And yet, how does a Christian live within the government, the politics, political arena in which we live today? And the reason I'm talking about it is not because politics is a hobby horse of mine. It's because we come to Romans chapter 13 this morning when Paul addresses it with the Christians living in Rome. The Roman Christians lived in a time that they could not comprehend the Roman government. How could an a ungodly and a pagan uh, emperor, empire rule over them when they were God's chosen people? How could God's people be ruled by such a nation? And so the Jewish people responded in three ways. Number one, there were Jews who said, you know what, Jewish Christians who said, you know what, we're going to partner with the government here. We're going to partner with them. We're going to support them. We're going to make alliances with them. Because why? We want to push our agenda as best we can through the government. Response number two was some, some Jewish Christians rose their hand and looked up to the sky and said, Lord, this is what we get for being disobedient. This is your punishment and we accept the third response was complete rebellion. We're not going to listen to them. I don't care what rule they make. I don't care what they ask of me. I'm not going to do what they say I should do. I don't care if it's good for me. I'm going to do the exact opposite because no Roman government is going to be over me. And Paul writes Romans chapter 13 and says, there's a fourth option here, people. There's a fourth option. And so what we're gonna, the question we're going to answer today is, what does God want from Christian citizens? And we're in Romans chapter 13. Before we jump in, let me remind you of Romans chapter 12, which we looked at last week. Romans chapter 12 is a shift. Romans 1 through 10 are all about, or 1 through 11 really, are all about God's grace to us. His undeserved, unconditional love that has completely changed our lives. Uh, it's by grace that we are saved, not merits. It's by grace that we've been adopted by God. It's by grace that He's washed us clean of all of our sins. It's by grace, by grace, by grace. Chapter 12, Paul says, Therefore, 
It's a, it's a turn. Now what? So what? And from 12 to the rest of the book, it's what does this mean for our lives? And so, therefore, in view of God's mercy, how do I conduct myself as a Christian citizen? <coughs> Chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Here's your first point this morning. What does God want? God wants Christians to submit to the government. That's what Paul says right away, right? Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Every single individual, God wants to subject themselves, submit, willfully place themselves underneath the governing authorities. It doesn't matter how low on the totem pole. It doesn't matter how high on the totem pole. For a Roman, a, a, Christian Rome, a, a Christian living in Rome, this meant it didn't matter if it was a Roman soldier, a Roman tax collector, or if it was the emperor himself. For the Christian living in America, it doesn't matter if it's the crossing guard or the president of the United States. God says, willfully put yourself under their authority. Willfully do it. Why? There is no authority except that which has been established by God. There is no government in this world that hasn't been established by God. God has established all of them. Paul doesn't mean just the ideal government God has established. Paul doesn't mean just the government you like. What Paul is saying is that every government has been established by God. Now that doesn't mean that God has risen them up to sin. They are responsible for their own actions, and if the Roman Empire sinned, well then they'd have to answer to God. Our government officials have been established by God, and yet they answer to God. So if they choose to sin and act immoral, they answer to God. But God says, submit to the government, because God has established the government. Can you imagine what a Roman Christian must have been thinking? You're telling me that God has established this pagan, ungodly nation to rule over us. You're telling me this government that hates Christians, God has established. It had to be shocking. Maybe this is shocking for you. You're telling me that God has established the American government? You're telling me God has established other governments in the world where, that are corrupt and are hurting their people? Yes. God doesn't want them to sin. God doesn't want them to hurt their people. Their people. God has risen them up and given them the authority in order for good of their people. They just may have chosen to sin. But every government has been established by God. And God says, submit. Willfully. Willfully submit yourselves. And because that these governments have been established by God, there's consequences, right? Paul says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. 
and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Paul says, consequently, what does this mean? Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. When we rebel and we don't do what the government says, when we don't willfully place ourselves under the government's authority, we willfully rebel against what God has established. What does this mean? Well, that means that if you cheat on your taxes, you're rebelling against God. That means if you're driving 80 in a 65, you're rebelling against God. That means that if you're texting and driving, you're rebelling against God. That means if you're at a friend's house and and you're drinking underage, you're rebelling against God. That means that if, if you smoke marijuana in states that aren't legally, haven't legally authorized it and made it legal, you are rebelling against God. Because God has established the governments. And God says, willfully submit. There's a story of a, a pastor in Alabama. His name's Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill was supposed to uh, speak at a conference on a Saturday afternoon, and Pastor Bill was running late. And so he's going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, and he's flying to try to make it on time. And after passing the fourth car that he passed, he all of a sudden began to feel guilty. Because what did he remember? He's got a Christian bumper sticker on the back of his car, and he's thinking to himself, all these people are seeing that I'm Christian, and I am just flying down the highway. And so finally the guilt was too much for him, and and he pulled over, and he took a deep breath. And he got out, went around the back, and ripped off that bumper sticker, and kept driving 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. Though he wasn't caught, though people didn't know he was a Christian anymore, who saw everything? God did. And God saw him rebelling against the authority that he established. God has established the governments, and God says, willfully, Submit yourself under the governing authorities. It doesn't matter if you like the political party in office or not. It doesn't matter if you like the politician or not. It doesn't matter if the politician is immoral and acting corrupt. God says, submit. The only time we don't. Do you know when? The only time? It's when they ask you personally to do something that goes against God's will. Then God says we must obey God rather than men. But unless if they, ask you, if they don't ask you personally to break God's law, then you submit and you follow the laws of the land. God says, willfully submit. And our motivation is completely different from other citizens. Here's what Paul says our motivation is. Therefore, It is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. 
If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. For the majority of people living in America, for non-Christians, what is their motivation for obeying the government? Fear, right? I don't want to get punished, therefore I'm going to obey this law. I might not be happy about it, but I'm going to do it because I don't want the punishment. The Christian motivation is a matter of conscience. I know that if I don't follow the law, not only am I breaking the, the government's law, but I'm breaking God's law. I'm not listening to the, those He's placed in authority over me. And so our motivation isn't fear. Our motivation is I get to honor and praise and thank my God by submitting to the government. That's what I get to do. Let me ask you, when was the last time that, that you obeyed the government's laws and thought to yourself, I'm worshiping God through this? I see some head shaking. Never. Never. And yet, that's what we do. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, Paul says in Romans chapter 12. What's a, a living sacrifice? God says, submit to those in authority. And when you do, this is your true spiritual act of worship. This is your worship. When you actively submit to the government. What does God expect out of Christian citizens? Willfully submitting to the government. But He also expects something else. Paul continues, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What does God expect? God wants Christians to love fellow citizens. God wants Christians to love fellow citizens. You are never going to be debt-free. Did you know that? You will never be debt-free as a Christian. Because the continuing debt to love one another will never be paid off. God has loved you so much that Paul says your debt to love others will never be paid off. As long as we live on this earth, God will ask us to love and to love and to love. That's what God asks us to do. And what's this love look like? Love your neighbor as yourself, Paul says. But we hear that all the time. So I, I like this one a little better. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm. As Christians living today, a lot of times we think that if we love somebody, it should be reciprocated, or at the very least, politely acknowledge that we are showing love and having love, and they should be polite to us. But Paul says that's not the case. Love does no harm. Love is unconditional. Love is undeserving. That's what love is. That's the love that God has shown to us. And now Paul says, love. Love your fellow citizens. Love other people. That means loving people of the other political party. That means loving the governing officials that are on the other side of the political party. And love does no harm. So what does that mean? Not just physical, 
but verbal, right? Hurting someone's reputation, that's harming somebody. Paul says, love does no harm. We are living in, what, 2019? In less than a, uh, about a year, there's going to be another election. The election time is getting ready to be ramped up. How do we as Christian citizens show love? We can support the candidate we want, but we don't tear down the other candidate, right? If their reputation is going to be ruined, we let them ruin it for themselves. We don't go and share posts on uh, social media about how negative and how corrupt this person is. We let them show that themselves. As Christians, we love and do no harm. We maintain people's reputation. We help them. We pray for them. We love. Love does no harm. But Paul doesn't get it, right? Paul doesn't understand living in 21st century America in the political arena in which we live, right? Paul just doesn't get it. You're right. Paul doesn't. But do you know what we can't understand? Living in an empire that arrests Christians, throws two Christians into an arena, and fills it with fellow Roman citizens who are chanting and screaming and watching and cheering as these two Christians fight to the death. We can't understand what it's like living in an empire that arrests a Christian, throws a Christian into an arena filled with Roman citizens in the Colosseum, and then they throw a lion in there, and the crowd starts chanting, Lion! 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 And it's in this political system that Paul says, Love. Love those people filling the Colosseum cheering against you. Love the Roman Empire who is putting all these Christians to death. Love does no harm. Love is not conditional. It doesn't matter if they are deserving of it or not. Love is undeserving. It doesn't matter if they deserve it, if they're worthy of it, if they deserve your respect, your honor. It doesn't matter. Love. So let me ask you another question. When was the last time you viewed loving a fellow citizen as worshiping God? Because in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. When we love others, we worship God. We show Him just how much He's worth to us. All His love that He has shown us, we say, thank you, Jesus, by loving others. By loving those of the other political side, of different political opinions. We love. And now's the point when despair starts to set in a little bit, right? How in the world could we ever do this? How can we be perfect in submission? How can we be perfect in love? And we can't. And we look and we cry out and we say, God, this is too high of expectations. And now we're starting to see the majestic love of our Savior, right? Now the spotlight turns off of us and we point it to our Savior and we say, look at your love, Jesus. Think of our Savior. Jesus, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and yet He completely left His throne where He had all authority and He set it aside. And He came to this earth and what did He do? He willfully submitted to human government. And, and He said, hey, you know what? Yes, 
pay taxes to Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Submit. He then submitted to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who was more concerned about his political position than actually finding out the truth and carrying out justice. He submitted willfully. He was respectful. He was loving. And he submitted to Pontius Pilate, even to the point of being crucified. Pilate said, take him and crucify him. And Jesus said, okay. And he walked up and he was crucified on the cross. And on the cross, we see the greatest love maybe ever shown. As he's hanging from the cross, what does he see? His fellow citizens down at his feet. He sees the gleeful smiles as he's dying. He sees the joyful yelling, the laughing, the joking. He hears the taunts, the mocking, the verbal abuse. And what does Jesus say in response? He looks up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And now, Jesus is sitting on his throne in heaven, back where he's, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he looks down at us and he sees our willful disobedience. He sees our lack of submission and our lack of love. And how does, re, how does he respond? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for my sake. And God the Father says, they are forgiven. All because of Jesus' willful submission and love. All of your sins are forgiven because what did they do? They, made, they drove Him to the cross where He paid for each and every one of your sins. And now this grace, this love, this mercy fills us and we say, we want to do something. We want to do something. We want to worship God. We want to worship God by loving others. Here's your last two points. God wants Christians to love fellow citizens. And then your last point of the day, the main point here. What does God want? God, we worship God when we live as Christian citizens. We worship our God. In view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our true and spiritual act of worship. We worship God by submitting to the government and by loving our fellow citizens then we worship God as offering our bodies as living sacrifices. So what are three things that we're going to do from this? Number one, we're going to willfully submit to the government, right? We're going to view obeying and listening to the government as our way of worshiping God in our day-to-day -day lives because God, your love is so incredible for us, we want to. Number two, we're going to love our fellow citizens. We are going to love and do them no harm. As I said, election time is coming up and there's going to be a lot of political ads. There are going to be many articles that you're going to be able to forward on about the negativity of the other political party. But love. Love and uphold their reputation. And in doing so, you worship God. And then number three, we're going to do what Paul instructs Timothy to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says to pray for the kings and the princes of this world. We are going to pray for the government. And we are going to pray and uphold them in our prayers that God may give us peaceful lives here on earth. And in doing so, we worship our God who has done nothing but love us and give us grace after grace.
Let's pray asking God's blessings on this. Dear Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet you willfully submitted, you willfully humbled yourself, and you willfully love your fellow citizens. We ask you to be with us and uh, help us to have that same heart, focusing on the fact that uh, when we do these things, we worship you. We don't, uh, conf- we don't worship or we don't obey out of fear. We obey out of love for you. Be with us as we do this and bless our worship. Amen.